Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today is Adrian Taylor, Director of Diversity at Premier Health, Ahmed Salim, Chief Compliance Officer at iRhythm, and Nakas Urfi, Product Compliance Officer at Babylon Health. The three of them will be leading the session ESG and DEI, How to Position for Stakeholder Success at the 2023 Compliance and Ethics Institute. First, Adrian Ahmed Nakis, thank you all for taking the time to talk to us and for presenting at the conference. Thanks for having us, Adam. Our pleasure, my pleasure indeed, and looking forward to your session. Let's dive right in. Nakis, we'll start with you. DEI and ESG are typically discussed separately. Should they be, or should DEI be seen as part of the S for social in ESG? Adam, I believe it depends on the context of the conversation. Traditionally, DEI has been its own area with its own program, with focus areas, with leaders in charge of the department. But now you have the ESG movement, and many people now may assume that DEI is just a subcomponent of the S that's focused on employees. I just presented a couple of days ago at the SCCCE ESG conference, and we presented a slide where we had all these different categories of E, S, and G, and there was four pillars under the S, under social, and then DEI was one component of the employee pillar. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that DEI's impact and role is now diminished with less attention and focus in the organization? I would say ideally not, and organizations should still give DEI the relevance and importance that it deserves. Um, you know, one example, kind of a rough example, but think about, you know, compliance and ethics under the G now. It's, uh, you know, it could be considered under the ESG lens, just a subcomponent under the G, but that doesn't mean that companies should all of, all of a sudden not focus as much on compliance and ethics. And so I really believe uh, diversity and inclusion can really strengthen each other in all components of the ESG, even thinking about in the environmental standpoint, when diverse pools of employees, they actually are uh, very much more considerate about different areas and communities and enabling their local businesses to achieve their goals. Also, there's also different types of ESG discussions in the industry about should D be added to the ESG as E, S, G, and D, and have D as its own separate entity. Um, but you know, for ESG reporting purposes, you're going to see DEI be a subcomponent of ESG under the S. Um, you're also going to see that the DEI for board membership diversity and independence actually falls under the G, um, but it has a DEI component to that. And so my thoughts at the end of the day is you can't really separate the two. I believe they actually should be interlinked and work together to create a comprehensive strategy approach that creates better outcomes for all stakeholders involved. I believe that will create a more sustainable business focused on DEI. I'll pass it over to Adrian. Nakas, thank you. And Adam, thanks for having me. I totally agree with, uh, with Nakas and would add to the discussion that uh, fundamentally, organizations that get DEI right have created a, uh, a platform for the conversation, uh, and that conversation is wrapped around uh, equity and what that looks like in regards to who we're hiring, who we're promoting, um, who's been provided with opportunities for stretch assignments, uh, et cetera, and it goes on and on, so that we are maximizing uh, one of the biggest assets that we have in our organizations, and that's the people. So focusing in on the people in the community, obviously ESG graduates that conversation, but when that platform has been created and it's a significant platform, meaning there's reporting, there's transparency, there's movement, there's vulnerability, organizations stand a better chance of standing up a very strong ESG program when that's already in 
place. So to capitalize on what Nakis has already said, these two belong together, uh, uniquely fitted uh, in a marriage, if you will. But also ESG and DEI need to be able to stand on their own as an integral part of uh, an organization's infrastructure uh, and commitment to ensuring that everything that they do provides equity, whether that's in the community or inside the organization. And to build off of what Adrian just said, when you have an aligned ESG and DEI strategy working together, you create a more sustainable business model that values people, the planet, and profits equally. And so when you're trying to work successfully together, you have to set clear goals and metrics, create a culture of transparency and accountability, and provide for opportunities for training and education where you can engage all your stakeholders to achieve alignment between ESG and DEI. We kind of touched on, Adam, some of the benefits earlier, but to quickly kind of you know, highlight some of the benefits, you, know, you foster engagement with all your stakeholders through dialogue and transparency. You can improve the culture with more accountability and acknowledging people's different diversity uh, initiatives that they feel very engaged with. You can improve your company's reputation through ESG, where people and your stakeholders view your company more positively, uh, which can become a competitive advantage through your ESG reporting. You can always manage your risk management much better by knowing what your issues are and identifying them and trying to mitigate those risks. And at the end of the day, it does lead to innovation and improve business outcomes with more diverse teams. Thanks, Adam. Oh, thank you. Now, Adrian, let me go back to you and, and ask about the flip side. Is there a risk of aligning DEI and ESG? Could one end up losing focus because of the attention paid to the other? That's a great question, especially considering the national discourse that we're all experiencing today. Adam, I would say this. I don't believe there's risk in aligning them, but there's risk in the miscommunication of what that could look like. So in the communication from senior leadership, if the communication leans on ESG, and there's no light shined on DEI, there could be a problem, especially if the platform's already been established with DEI. Employees and practitioners could be saying, are we getting rid of DEI? We create a narrative that's not necessarily true. And also, we could also lean on the DEI conversation and not spend any time shining light on ESG. So I think corporately, from a communication standpoint, especially marketing, that we need to balance the conversation and ensure that DEI gets its respect. Same thing with ESG, they both harmoniously move together and with other, in whatever the communication stream is in an organization. Now, uh, Ahmed, ESG is a heavy emphasis on reporting. Uh, ratings are emerging seemingly everywhere these days. Can those ratings uh, effectively be used to track and encourage DEI efforts? Uh, well, thanks for having us on, Adam. Uh, so when I think about reporting and ratings related to DEI off ESG, I think it's important to understand that there are limitations and challenges associated with using ESG ratings for this purpose. Uh, you know, kind of preparing for this, I came up with four buckets of challenges. So the first one is a limited focus on DEI. So typically ESG ratings cover a broad range of factors, as we know, but they may not fully capture the nuances we think about in the complexities of DEI within an organization. So consequently, and unfortunately, the emphasis on DEI might be relatively limited compared to other ESG dimensions. The second bucket is data availability and quality. So DEI metrics can be challenging to quantify and measure accurately. When we think about the types of data, we think about both qualitative and quantitative metrics. 
So gathering reliable and consistent data across different organizations can be quite difficult. Um, I don't know if, you know, what we've all done on a call, we all know the challenges that are associated with kind of getting feedback from, you know, stakeholders, the organization, and the community, and especially for certain demographics, factors like race and ethnicity. So in many cases, companies, like companies I've worked for in the past, self-report our DEI data. This may introduce some concerns related to bias and inaccuracies. So essentially, when we think about the data availability, uh, sorry, data availability and quality uh, of DEI data for, SG, for ESG rating purposes, it can vary, making comparisons and assessments less reliable. The third bucket is the lack of standardization. So ESG rating landscape is currently fragmented with multiple rating agencies and frameworks offering different methodologies to the criteria. While some of these frameworks do include, as we've seen, DEI indicator, the absence of some of these standardizations approach to assessing DEI efforts can make it pretty challenging um, for us to compare ratings across companies and industries. Um, so this lack of consistency does hamper our ability to use these ratings as a reliable benchmark for tracking and encouraging DEI progress. I think the last uh, bucket is subjectivity and interpretation. So ESG ratings often involve subjective judgments and interpretations as report. And I mentioned this a bit earlier in the idea of qualitative versus quantitative. So while some rating agencies use public available information, others engage in direct engagement with customers and companies. So this subjectivity can introduce, once again, the idea of biases and inconsistent, inconsistencies potentially impacting the assessment of DEI. So kind of summarize, while ESG ratings can provide some insights into a company's commitment to DEI, um, there is the sole basis for essentially thinking about how we should assess DEI metrics on its own sole purpose, given the fact that there's so many things that kind of drive us away from a consistent and qualitative metric across organizations. I want to follow up on that for a second. Uh, you know, in the quest for metrics, sometimes the wrong ones are picked. Are there any that could lead to either false or misleading metrics on DEI? Well, I think, so I'm going to say one, not to cause controversy, but typically when we look at, um, you know, hiring practices and uh, ethnic backgrounds and race, I would argue that companies are more likely than not to, to purposely and subjectively say that they're hiring a demographic more than they probably are. I have no empirical proof that that's happening, but it would benefit an organization for them to do that. And that kind of subjectivity could cause and does lead to inaccuracies in metrics and, um, you know, uh, making organizations look better. Also with outreach and work that they do in the communities, varying communities that they actually go to, the types of work that they do. Um, you know, you start going down this rabbit hole of how much, how much of the metric is actually being represented compared to the work that they've done. To, to capitalize on what Ahmed said, and I totally agree, he's spot on, uh, that when it comes to metrics, uh, at least in my experience with DE&I, we, we have to be squarely focused on who we're hiring, who we're promoting, uh, who's being terminated. And we need to compare our metrics overall to what the community metrics are and ensuring that our organization reflects the communities uh, that we live and work in. 
but we can't just be so focused on the numbers. Uh, and I think that's where it gets squirrely at them. Uh, when we look at the numbers, uh, the numbers could indicate that we're having a great experience uh, or we're having great results, I should probably say, with diversity. But the numbers don't necessarily reflect the experience that minority employees are having with organizations. So we have to dig deeper and we have to look at other metrics, quantify what that experience is to ensure that we're retaining the talent that we're going after in the first place with our recruitment efforts. So metrics, metrics could look like um, the rate of promotion for minorities versus non-minorities. What employees are accessing our EAP programs? Who's accessing tuition reimbursement programs? Uh, what's the mobility rate for minority employees versus non-minority? Or are we looking at it from a generational standpoint, uh, Gen X versus uh, Generation Z? So there's a plethora of metrics that we need to consider, and especially, let me say this while I'm talking about it, especially looking at the employees, employee survey results uh, regarding the experiences that minority versus non-minority or generational employees are having in our organizations. When we dig deeper uh, past the numbers and begin to look at the experiences, organizations have a better opportunity to retain talent, uh, to recruit talent because that retention turns automatically into a fantastic marketing um, marketing uh, communication from employees who work inside the organization. And authentically, that's what you want to have from employees in the first place. But fundamentally, going back to the ESG conversation, again, what I said earlier, when you have that platform and you have a strong performing DE&I program, especially while the ideal of the metrics and the experience of the employees you have a much more uh, significant uh, platform to build your ESG program off of so that people know authentically that you're being vulnerable, you're sharing communication, uh, you're providing programming and opportunity for employees to be involved because you've already done that with your DEI program. And all that's a good reminder that as we look at metrics, it's not just the quantitative, it's the qualitative that can count a lot too and looking at people's feelings of how things are working for them. Well, Adrian Ahmed Nakis, thank you all for sharing your insights with us today and for doing so at the 2023 Compliance and Ethics Institute. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletow from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.